the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again. Welcome to the show and the lunch break in the cricket. Uh, coming up, more than 50 agricultural lobby groups have sent a message to the federal government strongly opposed to the uh, proposed 10% biosecurity tax due to come in in a couple of months time but uh, first up let's uh, get the latest on the weather because uh, first today this is severe weather warning for heavy localized uh, intense rainfall in parts of the southern tableland southwest slopes snowy mountains australian capital territory and riverina heavy rainfall which may lead to flash flooding is forecast for parts of the southern tablelands act snowy mountains southwest slopes and riverina from early this afternoon Six hourly rainfall totals of 50 to 80 millimetres are likely with conditions expected to ease from the west during tonight. Locations which may be affected include Albury, Tumbarumba, Selwyn, Adaminibi, Tumut and Carncoban. Keep listening though to your local ABC throughout the day for more warnings. But uh, uh, in terms of the weather, let's uh, find out uh, how the bomb sees what's happening and Stephen Stefanak here. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So, yeah, it sounds like it uh, could we could have some heavy, locally intense rainfall in some parts of the state, mainly in the in the south there and Riverina. Yes, that's right. So we've got that severe weather warning out in the southwest slopes and nearby areas, uh, including the western outskirts of the ACT. That warning covers has since been downgraded to just heavy rainfall at the moment. So, um, so it's just been for heavy rainfall, but nevertheless, it still maintains that risk of localized flash flooding. And, um, yeah, throughout the rest of the state, severe thunderstorms are a possibility today. And we could see some, yeah, again, we've, yeah, we've seen some, that may... we've seen some heavy rainfall in the northeast, I gather, and mid-north yeah. coast. Yeah, so not as heavy in the 24 hours to 9am yesterday morning, but yep. still quite decent falls in the 24 hours to 9am this morning, mostly in the far north coast, in the northern rivers there, uh, several locations in excess of 100 millimetres, the highest, though, was Mwilambar with 166 mm. millimetres in the 24 hours to 9am this morning. Since 9am, uh, most of the rain's been falling in the west of the state. I mentioned uh, yesterday, you know, many places are going to experience 10 to 24-hour totals, across the, particularly across inland parts of the state, at least. Um, we've already seen 38 millimetres in excess of that at one location out west there, Burndu, which is kind of um, near um, Wilkenya. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this at risk of flooding for some of these locations. Yes, yeah, so if a lot of that rainfall falls with thunderstorms, it could fall in a in a in a, a spate of one hour, and that might the local drains and local creeks might not be able to cope with that amount of rain, and at such high rates, it could lead to localized flash flooding. Mm. And what about uh, for the next few days? What can we expect weather-wise? Uh, well, these. This current severe thunderstorm outbreak is starting to clear from the far southwest of the state and the far west as it gradually contracts east. It will con continue tracting east overnight, this storm outbreak, and then into the northeast tomorrow. So we'll still have a risk of severe thunderstorms in the northeast tomorrow, but we'll start to see drier air moving across the west and the south of the state tomorrow and sunnier conditions as well. By Friday, it contracts mostly to the far northeast of storm activity, and then on the weekend, we'll have the odd shower storm just lingering about the north or the northeast of the state with mostly dry conditions across the south and, and the far west of the state. Okay, so and, drying out a bit. Yep. Mm. Stephen, thanks for that. You're welcome. Bye. It's uh, 21 minutes to one here on the Country Hour and the lunch break in the cricket. 
You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, that system we've been just talking about there that's been dropping the wet stuff around the state uh, in uh, the Coffs Coast and Mid-North Coast area, many people are receiving 100 millimetres of rain since Monday. The rainfall has caused some flash flooding. Farmers, though, are mostly jubilant. Greg Byling runs cattle at Dorigo, which has received 285 millimetres of rain over a 24-hour period. And he told Tina Quinn that the deluge has set him up for winter. Wonderful stuff. A lot of it has run off and so on, but um, it's been pretty consistent, good soaking rain. So it's sort of set us up for winter. It's been wonderful. How dry was it before before this rain sort of hit? Oh, our creeks, uh, yeah, our creeks were pretty well dry. Yeah, and like the, the falls are still running and, and things like that, but I haven't seen them so low for, for a long time. So, wow. yes. so, so even even in the months leading up, because obviously it was a very dry winter and it remained dry until about November, and then it's it's gotten pretty wet. But uh, you guys were still pretty dry until this week. We were. We had storms and so on that kept things topped up a bit, but um, storms aren't aren't as good as the soaking rain. You're a beef cattle farmer. The the market's already looking up as well. Yes, it is. It, it it's it's changed around. Um, there before. In um, early early spring and so on, it's probably been the worst that I've ever seen the, the beef market. But um, it, it's starting to pick up now again. There was just too many cattle around, too dry, and everybody wanted to get rid of them. Dorigo cattle farmer Greg Barling speaking there to Tina Quinn. Now further north, tweed farmers have been less impressed. Cane fields are underwater. There's erosion in some spots and fences are damaged. New South Wales Farmers Far North Coast Chair Greg Craig Huff told Donna Harper when the weather dries up, there'll be plenty to clean up. This deluge in the last couple of days is um, getting water lying in paddocks, especially in the cane areas um, in the lower, lower lands. But uh, it's something that I guess farmers in those areas are used to. But on the back of that big downpour um, a few weeks ago in the Chillingham area, um, I think we're, we're well and truly saturated now in the tweed. Uh, and and how does does, it, does this present problems for farmers and producers? Oh, look, absolutely. When you start getting um, these kinds of downpours and this um, amount of rain, uh, it always presents a few challenges. I know that some of the farmers have just repaired fences from that Chillingham downpour up in that northwestern area of the of the Shire and other areas as well. I'm sure uh, that I haven't heard about, but it's always more work to be done when there's um, a lot of water flowing. That's for sure. What about erosion? Yeah, look, erosion is. Um, I think I think most farmers have really got their erosion under control. What we saw in the 2022 flood, certainly on our farm, was that the landslides seemed to start up high in the native um, forest areas with big trees, and they just kept sliding down through. And we're seeing uh, at the moment some of the sediment from those landslides sort of continue to wash out and go down the, the creek system. So it's kind of a naturally occurring thing in the caldera when you look back historically, um, and that's what we're seeing happen at the moment. And how does this affect farmers? Look, the, I know those old landslides, I know on our farm, for example, we're still repairing um, roads and fences that sort of got washed out in, in that event. Uh, but most most people are sort of on top of it, and I think everyone's very nervous that we'll see more work and more uh, repairs that need to be done if this rain continues as it, as it has been. But the forecast, uh, hopefully, is for it to sort of ease off a little bit from now on. 
That's the forecast. New South Wales farmers, far north coast. Chair Craig Huff speaking there to Donna Harper. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. More than 50 agricultural lobby groups across the full spectrum of farm commodities, including grains, wool, livestock, horticulture, dairy, forestry and seafood, have sent a message to the federal government strongly opposed to the proposed 10% biosecurity tax. A joint letter sent to the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is uh, calling for an immediate and urgent reversal of what they call a fundamentally flawed tax due to be implemented on the 1st of July 2024. Grain producer CEO Colin Beddle says farmers already pay through the nose for biosecurity. We already pay enough in existing levies and we think the government uh, has got this policy wrong. It's extremely flawed and there's a lot of inequity to it. So we've got 50 different producer groups from across the spectrum of, of the sector or different sectors, livestock, seafood, forestry, horticulture and obviously grains. We've co-signed a joint letter to the Prime Minister and we've included the Ag Minister, Murray Watt, and also the Treasurer um, and we're asking them to reverse this decision and farmers are also doing it tough at the moment as well with the coverage on the cost of uh, living and the supermarket prices. From the government's point of view, it's a user pays. I think that uh, uh, the farm sector is the one that's going to benefit from a stronger, well-funded biosecurity outfit. Uh, What's your response to that view? Saying that producers are beneficiaries, but we know there's a lot of people, for example, in grain production, all the way through to the consumer, say someone paying $15 for a pint of beer in Sydney, who are also beneficiaries. So there's no economic modelling, and that's what our letter has requested of the Treasurer as well. And uh, to say that farmers are the only um, beneficiaries of a strong biosecurity system is disingenuous. I mean, the national economy benefits from grain production, and if we get something like capra beetle, well, no one will be collecting any levies. Farmers have emergency, uh, or grains in particular, we have emergency levies. So there's no economic modelling to really test that, and Productivity Commission report was released for Christmas, uh, said it was a tax and that levies are an inefficient form of revenue collection for the government. Right, OK. And uh, there's also been some push to try and get the shipping industry to pay something. Is that part of the model or, or that's been left out and that's something that could be added in to maybe reduce the cost to farmers? Well, that's been um, in the pipeline with successive governments for six years and, and we've seen nothing. So, so it's not, not part of this model now? No, it was, well, it was part of the sustainable funding model that was announced in last year's budget, but it hasn't been delivered. What producers have been asking for is for the risk creators to make a contribution to shared responsibility and accountability. They bring these risks in, but they don't pay emergency levies for the ongoing um, eradication and management of biosecurity once we get it, like we have seen with Varroa. Grain producer CEO Colin Beddles with Joe Hall from Wool Producers says the wool industry does just does not have the capacity to pay any more levies. We at Wool Producers and along with the other groups um, that are signatories to this letter, uh, we fully understand and appreciate uh, the shared responsibility model of biosecurity. So in terms of producers paying We already do. We pay significant levies both at a state and national level, plus uh, the private investment that producers pay every day to keep their businesses safe um, through biosecurity measures. So we are one beneficiary, but uh, under the National Biosecurity Statement, which is an endorsed document by industry and government, the beneficiaries... um, 
are noted as as the government, both state and, and federal. Uh, obviously, industry, research organisations and, and individuals or the general public. So as far as we're concerned, uh, producers are beneficiaries, but we're not the only beneficiaries and we already do con contribute. So this proposed tax goes against that shared responsibility model. So you think you're being asked to pay too much? Yes, definitely. Uh, again, under that National Biosecurity Statement, there are clearly defined roles and responsibilities um, for each of those stakeholders. And if this tax goes forward, as, as proposed by the government, for the first time, producers will be paying for the regulatory functions of government, which is not our role to do. That is government's role. So what specifically are wool growers concerned about with this levy? The wool industry is relatively unique in the fact that we're one of the only industries, um, or we are the only industry that sets our research and development levy every three years. Growers get to vote. So wool poll is occurring at the end of this or the, in the second half of this year. The proposed levy is to be introduced uh, 1st of July and we don't think it's fair that growers should have to choose between contributing to R&D or contributing to a compulsory levy. So at the end of the day, growers won't make that distinction. They will just see that more money is coming out of their uh, wool checks. We're already paying one of the highest levies in ag. Joe Hall from Wool Producers there. It's uh, coming up to uh, 12 minutes to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Shortly we'll be looking at the fall in honey prices and uh, what beekeepers are saying about that. And uh, uh, we'll also uh, head to markets shortly too. But before we do that, uh, Hunter Valley horses have again dominated this year's Magic Millions Gold Coast yearling sale. The thoroughbred sale, the largest catalogue to date, wrapped up late yesterday and grossed just a touch over $239 million. The average price was about 214000 with an 84% clearance rate of the 1,475 horses offered. Barry Bowditch is Magic Millions' managing director and he told Amelia Bernasconi that it's been a fantastic week. The Star Magic Millions Carnival for 2024 has been nothing but a success. I think we had huge interest um, in obviously the, the sale, but just to run a seamless event that um, attracted so many people to Queensland and had such a great time and uh, and all in all it was just um, it was great to have everyone here and um, and whether it be the race day the the show jumping the polo the barrier draw all here at the sale it was um, it was it was a fantastic success yeah I'm sure it's hard to pinpoint those highlights let's start in the sale ring we've of course seen some extraordinary money change hands but uh, let's look at those big sales and then maybe some of the the underdog sales that you noticed throughout the week. Yeah, of course. You know, I think this year was a the top end was very, very strong in the marketplace. I think a lot of confidence here in the industry, especially here in Australia. Um, we had some twenty three yearlings make over a million dollars, so that's the most we've ever had. I think uh, you know the Hunter Valley Farms really dominated again with like the top four horses all being sold by Hunter Valley Farms. Um, top price of two point one million sold by Coolmore Stud for a filly by. Wooten Bassett out of Avantage, who was bought by uh, Tiakau Stud in New Zealand, and uh, they'll look to race that horse in, in Victoria, I believe. You know, all in all, it was just 
very, very strong bidding. Um, Sedge and Host Stud from the Hunter Valley had $7 million horses, which is a new record for any one vendor at the Magic Me and Geeling. So. Wow. They're always up there, aren't they, Sedge and Ho, with some kind of record broken? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they're, a, they're an outstanding farm and they've, they've got some great mares and great clients there. And obviously they breed some of the best horses in the country. And when they look the part, they're highly sought after in the sales ring. Let's look at some of those maybe more affordable buys, if I can put it that way. But yeah, was there any any sales that took your eye and you thought someone's just snagged a bargain? Look, it's hard to pinpoint. There's so much of that when you have such a big catalogue of some. What do we got? What do we had? Fourteen hundred and sixty-eight yearlings. I think the cheapest horse thus during the sale has been eight thousand, I believe. Um, you know, there's so many to choose from. I think you know when you come to Magic Means, the beauty of it is that you know because there's so many horses catalogued, there is such an opportunity to find bargains and find values. And we are finding in the market this year, you know, the lower to middle end has has probably softened a little bit more. So I think given that, there's there's plenty of bargains out there, albeit, you know, we can talk about the big numbers all day and um, you can still find a bargain. But I think statistically speaking, you know, the sales only off 2% or less from last year, which is um, which is unbelievable given the current economic climate. We certainly saw, like you said, Tiako Racing uh, very active this this year, lots of domestic buyers as well. Uh, what about globally? We know there's always interest. Were there any changes to those trends for 2024? No, not particularly. We had a, we had a new buyer from America that bought a filly for $1.7 million, which was fantastic. I think New Zealand was stronger. They bought some 34 yearlings. Hong Kong bought, uh, I think, you know, 36 in book one, uh, America bought 11 all up. Then there was interest from Japan and the United Kingdom as well. So all in all, I think, you know, the um, international spend was was very strong. We had a lot of international guests here. And, you know, obviously it's it's all part of the the, um, the experience. They come here to the Gold Coast, they enjoy their time, and, and, and we hope that they're able to buy a horse, whether that to be raced here in Australia or taken back to their own jurisdiction. And this really is just the start, Barry. I mean, you'll be in Tasmania within five weeks or so, in Perth, uh, back in, on the Gold Coast in March. Uh, talk me through the next six months for you and the team. Oh, busy uh, six months there for uh, Magic Millions Managing Director Barry Bowditch, uh, and he was speaking there to Amelia Bernasconi. It's uh, coming up to seven to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, the head of the Honey Bee Industry Council says consumers should be making an effort to support local beekeepers who are struggling to get good prices for their honey. The average price for the golden goodness has been falling over recently, in recent years in fact, and it's currently sitting at $4.50 per kilo. Yesterday we heard from Musselbrook beekeeper Matthew Staffer on why he's not so keen on the honey industry at the moment. Now's not a real good time to be a beekeeper. The last five years have been so hard with drought, bushfires, COVID, and then varroa, and honey prices at record lows compared to inflation. Yeah, I don't feel very comfortable at all. The price of honey is so low at the moment. Why, in my opinion, is the amount of imported honey coming into this country, cheap imported honey. I'm going to lean more towards pollination now. 
leaning more towards pollination. That's Matthew Staffer from the Upper Hunter Apries, and he runs hives across the Hunter. Also, uh, the Northern Tablelands and Central West. Now, beekeepers around the state are also waiting to hear how the transition to manage uh, varroa mite will affect them. National authorities determined last year it was no longer feasible, of course, to eliminate the invasive pest. Invasive pest. Danny Laferve is the CEO of the Australian Honeybee Industry Council and says the uncertainty about varroa mite is just one factor keeping honey prices low. So we have seen the honey price uh, weaken over the last year or so, coming from record highs of about $6 a kilo at the farm gate uh, two or three years ago down to an average of $4.50 farm gate price currently, which has been quite a, a big drop over the last couple of years. And and of course, as we all know, that the cost of operating businesses and beekeeping and farming has uh, done nothing but increase with increasing fuel pricing, labour costs. It's made it quite difficult for beekeepers uh, currently, on top of all the other issues we have, including fires, floods, biosecurity incursions for our beekeeping industry. Yeah, this low honey price, is that unusual? Have you ever seen it that low before? Yes, absolutely. Honey, honey prices do fluctuate. Um, we do see it go up and down depending on, on the season and production. Uh, we do know at the moment that we've got all our honey packers in the industry sitting with very high inventory levels. That typically means that we do see the honey price drop away. I'm not sure that we've seen such a big decrease uh, as what we've seen in the last couple of years. And, and that coupled with all the other influences we've got on the cost of production at the moment, it is, it is really hurting, hurting our beekeepers. Are there any other factors that could be playing into the issue? So we know that since 2019, we've seen about 200,000 new hives nationally. So that's quite a substantial increase in hive numbers across the country, and they are all honey-producing hives as well. So so we're seeing increased hive numbers, which is adding to the national uh, honey crop. We're seeing um, the continual pressure that we get from imported honey. And we're also seeing a lot of honey coming in from New Zealand. Do you recommend more of a focus on using Australian honey, given what the industry is going through at the moment? Oh, absolutely. The best thing any consumer can do to save honeybees and save an industry and promote an industry is to buy Australian product. And that's true for honey. We know that sometimes the Australian products are a little bit more expensive on the shelf, but we know the quality of our Australian product is, is far in excess of any other honey in the world. That's Danny Lafourve, who's the CEO of the Australian Honeybee Industry Council. He was speaking there to Bindi Bryce and, of course, the uh, price of honey uh, down to a level I haven't seen for a few years, $4.50 per kilo. Uh, and um, some of the issue there is, of course, those imports. It's uh, coming up to three minutes to one here on the country and uh, shortly we'll be heading back to the cricket. But before we do that, let's head to some market information. First up to Lismore Cattle. Good falls of rain over the wide area saw prices improve in the yarding of 950 head, an increase of 270. Young cattle were well supplied and there were 300 cows yarded. Quality was fairly good throughout the yarding with most of the young cattle in good condition. There were several lines of well-bred weaner steers and heifers sold. Restockers and backgrounders competed strongly, resulting in restocker weaner steers selling 20 to 30 cents dearer. They sold from 348 to 394 to every 380 cents. Restocker weaner heifers sold from 3 to 36 
to 304 to average 280. Veal is to process range from 250 to 285. Restocker yelling steers, they sell from 240 to 380 cents. And restocker yelling heifers, 252 to 292. Full field of export buyers saw a small panning of ground steers sell 10 cents dearer. They sell from 262 to 294, and ground heifers topped at 281. Cow mark was 10 to 15 cents dearer. Medium weight three scores average 240. Heavy cows sold from 249 to 265 cents. Heavy bulls made a much better market, selling at 284 cents. Doug Robson and Lismore. Let's go to Carcourt sheep and lambs now. Numbers lifted by 2,000 for a yarding of 7,100 lambs. It was only a fair quality yarding with good numbers of young lambs lacking finish, suitable for the restockers and feeders. There are odd pens of tra- good tray weight new season lambs and shorn lambs, along with only a few pens of heavyweights. Tray weight lambs were 10 to $20 cheaper, with the new season lambs selling from 110 to 180 to average 7.20 cents a kilogram. Tray weight old lambs sold from 100 to 178. The few heavyweight lambs were also cheaper, with the old lambs over 24 kilograms selling from 176 to 215. A pen of trade weight merino lambs sold for 88. It's coming up to news time.